right eye dominant. 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 This is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I am your host, Nick Toro Jr. On today's episode, I am really, really excited to welcome a special guest. You know, you could throw around the term rock star pretty freely nowadays, but this particular photographer I do consider a rock star. His name is Frank Ockenfels III, and he's had a long, illustrious career, not only in the music world, but in the celebrity and entertainment world. He photographed for Rolling Stone magazine. He photographed for Saturday Night Live. More recently, photographed for Mad Men, The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, American Horror Story, and most notably, he was closely associated with and collaborated with David Bowie for many years of Bowie's later career. And Frank was actually David's go-to photographer, and I think they worked together 15 times. So we talk about all of that and more in today's episode. I was really psyched to get Frank to be on the podcast with me. I actually try to take a page out of Frank's book and not do what everyone else is going to do in an interview. And I had a stack of cards of just random subjects that I thought might be a good idea for us to discuss. So Frank was game for that, thankfully, and we had a great conversation. What you're going to hear is definitely the highlights of it. We really, I think we probably could have talked for a couple more hours. He's just a open, really friendly, sharing, interesting character. So I'm thrilled to share this conversation with you all now. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Frank Ockenfels III. Well, uh, Frank, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you as a guest. Thanks. Thanks. It's, it'd be fun to have a conversation about what you want to speak of. So. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, as I mentioned before I started recording, um, I have a stack of, of index cards with just prompts on them, uh, thought starters, and I thought it would be just kind of a cool way for us to talk around things and break up sort of a standard uh, approach to an interview. But before we go there, and I have the first card, it just says origins. Origins. <laughs> so uh, you can tell your story any way you want to, but it would be sure. good for the listeners just to kind of hear, you know, how you started down this path of photography. Sure. As a kid growing up in uh, Western New York, Lockport, New York, suburb of Niagara Falls, Buffalo, and uh, just a bunch of friends in junior high school were just, you know, using Instamatics, taking pictures, and we all made uh, dark rooms in our basements. And uh, my mom was kind enough to let me take over her laundry sink and uh, and let me build a box in the basement. And 
very root, you know, very rudimentary crap, but it's just kind of like, and I went out and I just took pictures of things I saw, textures, mostly textures. It's kind of funny. Ended up, I ended up in cemeteries a lot looking at like stone and light and found myself kind of, um, everyone kind of was shooting it. And then of course, you know, you're shooting pictures of people at school and, and, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was not a very good student, kind of an awful student. So, uh, luckily, uh, I don't know. I'd done a bunch of pictures and I, kind of pushed the boundaries of like, you know, someone, I, I don't know where I even saw it. My, I think the first thing I ever really broke the rules on was like, someone said, um, you know, you can't put a camera up and just let it, just leave it open at night and see what happens. And I'm like, why not? Mm-hmm. You know? So I photographed these pictures in downtown Lockport, New York at like night in the middle of winter kind of thing. And just let the light build and and just see what would happen. I, and I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I kind of still to this date, I will pick up something and kind of, um, say, well, what happens if I do this? Mm. You know, not knowing if it's going to be a massive failure or something really cool. And then the, the hard part is always going back and doing it again sometimes because I'll forget the one or two things I did to get to the point where I'm doing the weird thing. So, yeah. Mm. Um, so my life has always been kind of like, what happens if, I guess is the best way to say it, you know. Right. But why photography? What was special about grabbing a camera? Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I don't, you know, that's a good question. I don't, no one's ever asked me that. Why, why I chose that and didn't pick up drawing or something else. Um, and my, cause it's funny cause my mom used to draw in pastels all the time and I'd watch her and I was always amazed by what she could capture by that. But I never touched that until later on in life and badly. But I mean, but the bad part of it makes, makes sense to me because I don't have to have a style in drawing. I can draw in a different direction. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, huh. Probably was a pure thing. I mean, we were all just doing it. So I just kind of picked it up and we started playing around with it. And I, I thought it was, I liked it. And then when, as I got and you know, I was in high school and I was not a popular kid. So we were all taking pictures and then um, my mom bought me a really cheap Yushika and I started taking pictures just around school and ended up, you know, photographing, you know, the cool kids. And then they all wanted me to take pictures of like the athletes or the cheerleaders and that kind of stuff. And, and we would do these photo shoots that were like, I just kind of run around and take pictures of people like that. And, and then my friends all kind of fell away from it. I, I was the one who kind of pushed through and there was a competition in high school and a photo competition. And I won uh first, second and third prize and, and <laughs> kind of laughed about it and going, was like, well, this is interesting, you know? And, but of course a guy named Jack DiMaggio, who was an art teacher, was one of three art teachers we had. And, and, and I was a failing science major, really failing science major. And he kind of, called me into his class. So what, you know, who are you? Like, what do you, you know, why aren't you taking pictures for me and what's your major? And he restructured my life. He got me out of the science. He put me into an art major in high school. He organized my portfolio. He uh, started saying, these are colleges you should look at, you know, this could be a career, this could be a thing, you know, and of course you grow up in upstate New York and being a photographer, it's you're a wedding photographer or you're the guy at the mall, you know, doing, uh, doing th- seasonal pictures. And so I had no concept of what that was. I had no history. I had no understanding of the history of photography or even what I was shooting at. I just was looking at light all the time. And if you look at my first few pictures, it's a piece of light coming into a window with a friend playing a guitar or, you know, it's just like a variety, like, you know, capturing, you know, building up light on film and that kind of thing. So it's always been generated toward, I looked at a piece of light and I remember as a child kind of, you know, sitting in the car, you know, lying in the back window back in the day when you could not have to be have a seatbelt on. And, you know, so I'd be lying in the back window of my mom's car and 
looking up and watching the light come through the trees and, and just seeing how it would move around. So, you know, I look back and I can see the points of, of light. It's maybe not picking up the camera, but it's the recognition that light brought me somewhere that light would take me from to basically show me what I was supposed to be looking at. So that kind of, as I got into, and then I got, got into college and that was always the struggle was trying to find what the light would basically tell the story or basically take me to where I wanted to go. Mm. So I guess it was just that. I mean, totally. My whole career has been the point of not consciously doing something, but subconsciously being handed something. So, and, and also going like, Oh, you know, it's like, it's like the, you know, it's like someone sitting in the middle of a room and all of a sudden someone's saying, did you look over to the left? And I look over and I go, Oh, that's really great. You know, and then I walk over and I kind of, and then I start working there, you know what I mean? And then I get bored and I, cause I get bored all the time um, doing things. And I kind of like that where I've gone with my life. Cause I keep on challenging myself to do something different. And I keep allowing myself not to have to be the same person over and over and over and over again, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and luckily at 62 years old that I am able to still get hired to do jobs that people don't want just the the same picture 27 times they want like okay you have to do a beauty picture now you have to do a dark and moody picture and now so i think that all goes back to the constant wanting to see something different you know from when i was a kid yeah yeah a couple of things came up in that story that i find interesting one is having that one person recognize that you had something to yeah. offer something special uh which i think for many of us we could probably kind of pinpoint one yeah. or two people like that in our lives that and they're not always in the arts which is kind of funny it's like i i lectured a couple of years ago in palm springs and someone's been trying to find people that inspire you or whatever and i said you know don't look to be the person that you think it's going to be it could be the most abstract person in the world supporting you in your vision and how you approach it. Mm. And, and um, luckily, and I'm still in contact with Jack, Jack Dimash, mm. and I still talk and, you know, even at, you know, so many, many years later, you know, and uh, so, yeah, it is, it's important to have that one person suddenly kind of go, yes, which is, and the arts is really hard because everything, especially if you're not doing something that's, that's comfortable for people that, that it's not obvious. You know, it's like if you do something, if you do a pretty picture, yes, you're always going to get people being excited. But if you push that boundary and you kind of say, well, what if we look at it this way? That to me is always the interesting part of where that goes. So I always I'm always interested to hear, especially with creative people that like because counter to, I think, the other kind of encouragement that kids more so receive as far as you know, getting a responsible job where, you yeah, know, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's like, how are you going to make a living at this? I mean, right. that, I mean, and Jack didn't even, Jack didn't even take pictures. He did. He was, he, he's an amazing, you know, like painter, you know, mm-hmm. so he has nothing to do, but he, he, he needed something, but he also said he saw something that he could actually in, inspire somebody in life, which has been my ongoing thing in life is not the point of being, successful as being a photographer but being inspirational to others which is more interesting because when i've encountered people that have basically you know seen a video or listened to a podcast i've been approached by it's funny the first time i ever got approached by somebody that i didn't know who they were and they they recognized me because for years without social media 
you know, they're just a name. And even with the name, I would do lectures and they'd say, today we're going to have, I mean, there's a lecture I did years ago. I was covering for a guy named Chip Simons and he was doing a, uh, yeah, I know Chip, actually. you know, Chip, Chip's great. Yeah. You know, and Chip basically had to do a lecture at NYU and they said to him, uh, he couldn't go. And then they said, oh, well, um, you know, Chip called me and said, hey, could you cover for me? And I'm like, yeah. And I said at the time I'd done some stuff for Rolling Stone and I had a certain amount of, you know, I thought a cachet that people might know me if you looked at magazines. So I went to NYU, full full auditorium of kids there to see a photographer. And it said, and as I'm walking up, I see these signs saying, see the guy who shot REM. That was what the poster was, right? So I walk in and the guy turns around and he says, uh, he said, um, I'm sorry to say, but Chip Simons can't be here today. And literally half the audience stood up and walked out of the room. And I'm like standing there going like, holy shit. I go, okay, I got it. I got it. You wanted to see Chip. Chip's really fucking cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Because he is, he's an amazing photographer. Um, and then, and then, but they said, but today we have Frank Ockenfels. So and then five people got up and left. And I go like, I want to know who you five are. Okay. So it's, like, you know, it's one thing to be basically saying, Chip's not here. But then when they say your name and five people stand up and walk like, out, well, that's no. just like, wait a minute, stop. You stop right there. I'm going to, I'm going to impress you. God damn it. Sit down. You know, like, you know. but it's just, you know, and, you, and ego, I mean, that that's when you have to start checking ego. It's like, and, you got to realize that you're a photographer. You're not like curing cancer. You're not giving the the golden ticket in life. You are basically just there to talk about your story. So that ego is like, you just have to be understand that a great carpenter, an amazing, you know, um, I mean, just there are people that do things that have no, like no level of, um, of how I get paid to take a picture of a movie poster. Right. And if you're really good at it, you know, that's great. But you shouldn't have an ego to stand there and say that I am amazing. You know, like, yeah. I'm just another guy taking pictures. And I've been very lucky to be given a lot of fun projects to work on that people recognize. I'm going to dig through my pile because I'm, now I'm going to pull out the ego card. because <laughs> Okay. That was literally one of the things that I wanted to talk about. Is it going to be like a yellow card? You're going to throw it down on me, or going to? Yeah, that's right. You get a couple of those, and the interview's I'm over. Get a couple of cards, and then it's over. I'm like Frank. I'm sorry. Yeah. I pulled the card on you on this one. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> but ego, it's interesting because I think what you're describing, I think, is some humility, maybe, and also mm-hmm. some uh, gratitude, obviously. Yeah. Because, like you said, this art this craft that we we work in is i mean it's important right but it's not critical to uh like you said saving lives yeah. but yes you've been lucky but you're also you you bring so much to the table that it's almost i i, I don't know who said it but like luck favors the prepared and i think like that interesting, yeah. kind of idea yeah, um, but I, I think luck luck also basically the huge part of it is who you surround yourself by. And then if you listen, because if you don't listen to the people around you, whether you agree or not, let's say, right? I mean, when I do a job, I walk in, I'm with my guys the minute we get there and we drop the cases in the ground. You know what I mean? And I'm there as we're lighting it. I'm, I mean, I don't, I light with them. I light, I'll tell them this is what I want to do. And then they'll say, what if we try this? Or what if we do this? Or I'll say, what do you think about this? And I have to listen and listen to the room and as I'm going through stuff. And then maybe Chris will look at me and say, what about this? You know, and it's like, and that whole thing, you you have to listen to the room, the littlest thing, you know. And if you didn't listen to this full circle, 
or a hair and makeup person or I mean stylist or anybody who's staying there with you or even like allow a creative director to push you and say, yeah, I'm going to do it this way. And they say, well, what if we try this? If you really look at the person and say, no, you know what I mean? I'm going to do it this way. You'll never grow. You'll never move forward. And, and, and what I do is a collaborative, even in the point of doing my personal stuff, I try to listen to the person I'm photographing because, mm -hmm. you know, they're looking back to you. So I'm talking way too much now. Okay. No, so. you're not. No, you're not because I'm like uh, pulling these cards. I mean, like you're getting uh, like, okay, well now he's talking. I'm about, running through the pile. <laughs> which is great. Which is great. Yeah, well. Which is great. You're, you're actually touching on something which is improvisation. Yeah. I got into doing improv, like, like improv mm -hmm. comedy or improv right. theater uh, about five years ago. And, um, it's amazing how much it's influenced my other creative life, freeing myself up in the studio. Uh, and, and what you're describing, I think is in some ways, yes. You, so one of the tenets of improv is saying yes. Yeah. And yes. And yes. And what else can happen here? And you just said, like, if you say no, how much that shuts everything down. Yeah. Uh, but to, um, it sounds like in in some ways it's a form of improvisation with your team mm -hmm. in the studio. And then I certainly see it in your collage work and the journal work mm -hmm. as well. But well, in the collage work and the journal work, just not much. <laughs> it's just it, that that has that is a very singular thing. That is a very much of a flushing of the brain mm -hmm. that I the only person that ever might look at something is my wife, where she will look at me sometimes and say, you just overthought it. You know what I mean? You're just like, maybe, you know, I'll walk over and you think it's done. And she goes like, yeah. And then I'll come back over an hour later. And I'll go like, what about this? And she goes, I don't see the difference. Like, mm. what is the thread that you're looking at? There's always a, th I look, I look for the thread in my journals. Okay. But to step back to improvisation is that I grew up as a kid and my mom dragged my sister and I dragged my sister and she took my sister and I around and we did summer stock theater in the mm. summers because when she was a kid, she wasn't allowed to do acting. Wasn't a thing you were allowed to do. Women were teachers or they were mothers, or they were nurses, or secretaries. That was it. So, and she went to school, and when she was in college, um, she wanted to teach. She wanted to basically act, but she did other things. She took a teaching degree. And so when we, my, my, my parents were divorced, and my sister and I, my mom, we'd do these summer stock theaters in Lockport, New York in the summer. We'd do these huge productions of, like, you know, filler on the roof or whatever else. And whether we, my mom was always in them, but my sister and I would always be in the peripheral. I might be in them, but my sister and my sister ended up basically, my sister Lee, she ended up on Broadway doing uh, costuming. That's what she did for years on Broadway, worked on a lot of Broadway shows as a costumer. And, um, and so she ended up staying with it. And then when I went to art school at SVA, they had an improvisational troupe and we used to do that all the time. We'd basically stand on stage and someone would have to say something out loud and we'd have to riff on that. And, um, and then when someone would say the next word, then the next person would click in. So you had to listen to the room. You had to basically take what was given, work with it. And then you had to, then as a background, if you're a part of the troupe, you have to listen to them where you could come into it and take over the piece so the person could get out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I love that. I love, we did that. I did that for one, one year and it was really, it was a great thing to be able to be part of because it, you're exactly right. Is that it all comes back to how you relate to being a photographer, being a visual artist 
is that how do you work with the room? And we have the opportunity, unlike most visual artists, like painters or sculptors or people who draw or illustrate, we have people around us that help us or that basically move us through something. And not to basically appreciate that and work with that would be is, is stupid. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just stupid because then your vision is just this. It's just this hallway you're walking down with blank walls and you think you have the answers to basically fill them and you don't. You know what I mean? There are so right. many, so many places, like so many doors you're walking past that you, if you just stepped in for a second, that it would be that you, your mind would basically, you, you basically probably fail. And then you start over again. You go like, Oh, great. A whole new, I'm re I'm, I'm reinventing myself today, which is a great thing to reinvent yourself. You, you mentioned the summer stock theater and in some ways, I find that very telling because then you years later you go into photography and you're it, part of the entertainment world. Um, whether, and whether that was an intentional direction that you took or not, it just at least speaks to some connection with that environment that you, you, you were in, in your formative it, it's, years. Yeah. It's cause it's kind of funny. Cause you, we go back to the conversation of light again, you know, you're doing stage lighting and all of a sudden you're seeing someone, you know, a light basically brings the actors out of the darkness, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, um, there's a great uh, documentary. I always tell my students to watch is called visions of light. And it's mm-hmm. a, uh, it's a documentary on the history of cinematography. And I forgot who said it, but one person said my favorite thing in the world is to walk into a dark stage and basically strike that first light. Mm. And, and I will do that sometimes back when I was doing a lot more, um, uh, editorial, I would do that. I'd walk in and I'd see what was given in the room and then I would try to figure out what I could do to accent the light. So let, let me ask you about, um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of march through a little bit of, of your career. Making your way into like the entertainment world, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, what, was, what was the entry point? Like how did, uh, how, did start? how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my it's so funny because people say how do you get started nowadays and i always kind of laugh and i say that doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. because i was you know i was a young photographer i worked for i got lucky i got a job with a guy named josh green and he's milton green's son who was basically you know uh the key photographer and marilyn monroe lived with him and marilyn monroe used to bait you know babysit joshua when he was a kid and you know so it's very kind of unusual and his whole world was he was he was, he taught me the insanity of basically just doing it. Like how much can I throw against the wall before, before it all basically falls apart. But in the process of getting there, it's going to be really, really amazing, you know? And he taught me that kind of like insanity of what it could be. And mm. uh, I got lucky with that starting point with him. And then he let me use his studio and I started shooting some things in his studio. The whole thing of the back in the day when I started was you didn't, you couldn't work for a magazine unless you really shot, a celebrity. You need to have some sort of celebrity in your book. And I was shooting all these pictures of all these different people. And I, um, the two things I did in the end were kind of funny was that I was sitting in a cafe in, uh, in, 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 uh, in the East village and Joe Morton, who's an actor, um, which, uh, and I knew who he was and, and I, and he was with his daughter and I walked over and I said, I don't mean to interrupt, but I was just, can I photograph you? I mean, I know your work. And I just, I said, and I told him the story. I said, I really need to, and he kind of smiled. And he said, well, and at the time he wasn't a big celebrity. He wasn't like somebody wouldn't know what he'd done. He's done a ton of things since then. He's a really wonderful actor. Um, and he, uh, he said, yeah, but you, I need, my daughter needs a headshot. 
So I was like, okay, I'll trade you. You know, we did that. And then at the same time, I ended up meeting um, uh, a woman named Jenny Rose. And Jenny Rose was starting a model agency, and it was called Ice. And it was it was the model agency that basically broke the industry because it was like Ford and Elite, and all the women looked a certain way. They were all mm-hmm. Christy Brinkley types, that kind of thing. Well, Jenny's idea and Chris Forberg, who was her partner, they decided you had needed to shoot unusual people. Like you needed un- really unusual faces in this industry. So she would hire, she just said to me, you can have any, anyone you want, just go take pictures of them. And she would use these pictures them, and I could shoot anything, any, I just do portraits of them any way I wanted to, any kind of piece of light, anything of how I wanted to approach them. And she'd use them on their car. She'd use them on their, on their go-cards, you know? Mm, mm. And, um, but then when I put the pictures in the book, some of the people were notable and they'd say, Oh, and they thought they were celebrities because they'd seen their faces. They just thought they were like, you know, minimal actors, whatever. This is before, way before social media. So you sure. can get away with stuff like that. Yeah. And then I have to start dropping my book off it. And then they have, you used to have weekly drop offs at magazines and you'd go over and you'd put your portfolio in a long stack that went, and then the associate photo editor would come out and take them all in and look through them. And if she, if he or she found something that was interesting, they'd take them to the photo editor and say, you know, look at the, look at the, look at the work. So there was that, that's how you would start in the industry, you know, and that's how you started going through it. And I found myself leaning toward, because I love music so much. I started, I found myself leaning more toward trying to shoot musicians, even though I hadn't, didn't have any access to any of them. And, and, um, and people seem to think that's what I should be doing anyways. But my lucky break came from a, a girl named J- a Jody Peckman, who I went to school with. And it's funny because my dad's friend who was in advertising in New York said, your first job will come from the, if you come to school in New York city, the first job you probably will get from, will be from the person that sat next to you in school hmm. and, or somebody you met at school. And I was like, well, that's interesting. He goes, that's why you come to New York city because the majority of the industry is in New York city. And that's right. Right. And I was like, that's interesting. You know? So, so yeah, sure enough, Jody hired me and I went and I photographed Buster Poindexter for a quarter page picture for Rolling Stone um, at the uh, Beacon theater on new year's Eve. Mm. And then she hired me to do a couple other things. And then I ended up being hired to, and this was this, this moment. What I'm about to tell you was what basically then went this way. This is when this is not knowing, like everyone says, if you do this, this will make your career. That's all bullshit. (laughs) You never know what's going to make your career. Never know why you get hired, but you basically, um, I was hired by Rolling Stone to go photograph uh, 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 this young new artist named Tracy Chapman in Boston for a quarter page picture. And I jumped on a, on a, on the commuter flight, went up bag of cameras, knocked on her door. She, we went for a walk with her dog, uh, went over and sat in a cafe. I took some pictures of her different ways and went back. And in the process of doing that, Matt Mahern's video comes out and the song goes crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and she becomes a celebrity. So all of a sudden this picture, this unknown little photographer who they sent to a quarter page picture, suddenly I have a double page spread in Rolling Stone (laughs) and my phone starts ringing like, you know, kind of, and it's kind of like, who the fuck are you? It Mm -hmm. really was what almost they said to me. So, you know, it's that, that little moment of taking that picture, having, meeting somebody and then having them grow your career. And in that same few months, when I was when I was an assistant, I worked for Edie Baskin and a guy named Isaiah Weiner um, at Saturday Night Live, and I worked with them, assisting them doing the 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 bumper shots. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I got a call one day from Edie and said, do you want to be the, the show photographer? And, uh, and I was like, okay. Yeah. What, what year was that? Oh my God. I know you're going to ask me that. Eighties, right? Eighties. Yeah. 80s. yeah. 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 Dennis Miller, uh, John Lovitz, that kind of era. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Ted, Kevin Nealon. Yeah. Uh, Dana Garvey. That was like the round I was there. Wow. And I, I went in on the first show and I hadn't shot a lot of celebrities still at that point. I shot a couple, you know, like a Herbie Hancock for like details magazine for quarter page picture or so my, you know, I had this one big picture in Rolling Stone, but pretty much past that, it was like all minimal, you know, things. And I just, I did six shows and then I quit, <laughs> which I think I have the, I have the, uh, the notable point of saying I'm the only one to ever quit that job because I just realized it was like, cause you'd basically, you know, I was told like to go take the first show was Tom Hanks and, uh, and, uh, Keith Richards with the expensive winos. Right. So all of a sudden you're standing in front of Tom Hanks, who is the sweetest person in the, in the world. I mean, the most amazing person. Um, and so I, he and I, they would say, go out in the street. So I get in a, in a they take a car service and we drive out someplace and I take pictures of him in the street. And, and that's what we did. And they would use it for the bumper. And then, the musicians would come in and they had no time to go out in the street. Usually and they were too big to walk out in the street. Cause sure. you couldn't walk around the neighborhood of Rockville center. Um, and they never had the time to really go anywhere. So I started basically uh, opening up the, the, uh, the uh, at, at Rockville center, there's all these gardens outside these exterior, you know, terrace gardens. And I used to, I used to open, find windows that are open and we crawl out and we go shoot them and they were all overgrown and like, but at least we're outside and the city was behind them and it was like something to do. But I don't know, I just got, I mean, I won't go into the story of why I quit, but it, it just was like, I just got to a point where it's going to like, I'm like the least important thing that happens every single week. And I, mm. and I, and I got that and I, and I, and I knew that, but at the same point, it just was like, this isn't how I want to be. This isn't, this is not my kind of thing. I, I think I can do other things, you know, yeah. and it was, always, and I had no answers. I was a kid who lived in a, you know, $500 a month apartment and like, you didn't have any money and didn't have any, you know, overhead. I mean, I really didn't owe anything to anybody. I could keep failing and trying to go forward all the time. So, so I just quit. And, um, which was the shock of everybody. Even she's like, you quitting. And I go, yeah, it's just, it's not my thing. You can you have somebody else do this. It's not my thing. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but I really didn't see it, see it being something that would allow me to grow. I felt like you could get really stuck in that because it's, you know, you have to be, you have to be there for uh, Thursday to shoot the band and then you have to be there Tuesday to shoot the celebrity. I think is how we used to do it. And yeah. then you have to be there Saturday because you have to shoot the rehearsal ah. as a photographer. So, oh, okay. but, but the cool part was for the rehearsal, they give you two tickets. So I would go around to photo editors and see them and I go, Hey, you want to go see Saturday Night Live? Here, here's a couple tickets. I'll see. I'll, I'll see. So it was a great kind of like, you know, it was a great tool. So all little things kind of like build that kind of help you start your career. But Music was like something I always loved to do. And to get back to what we were talking about is the entertainment thing is that that part of entertainment didn't interest me as much as basically working with musicians and spending a day and seeing how many different ways I could photograph them. Mm. Because the expectation when you shoot an album cover is, you know, we need to get like, you know, maybe eight setups. So we have, you know, maybe the, maybe the album cover and then maybe all the press stuff with it. And I used to give myself the challenge seeing how many pictures I could get away with like different pictures. Hmm. So, and I would do things like buy a camera at a flea market, take it to the photo shoot, shoot a roll of film with it. 
because it would be totally different than anything else we were shooting. Yeah. And then back then you'd shoot 35 millimeter, you'd shoot medium format, you could shoot four by five, you could shoot plastic cameras, you could shoot, I mean, you could just shoot anything you wanted to because now with digital, it's kind of a one, you know, it's 35 or, or medium format. And these are the cameras and these are the lenses and, 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 and you need this, this, and this. And granted, it's amazing now with digital, there are things I could do that I could have never done before. But there was something about understanding how much you could really just fail miserably mm -hmm. if you shot with a camera that you didn't know was exposing or even focused. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah. let me ask you about that. So, and, and I think that, and we don't have to sort of revisit the the end of your time at SNL, except to, I would, I would, I would think that certainly in the days of film, you were probably in a meat grinder there as far as timing and, and just kind of churning the stuff out. So oh my God, yeah, I, I take a picture and then I have to run home, process the film. I'm like, I had a dark room in my kitchen. I process print little, make little five by seven prints, um, go up to, uh, and they had this thing where they would rephotograph it. And then you with, with somebody at NBC and you'd meet him up with him and he would rephotograph them. We'd look on the screen. Great. And go to the next, you know, then, then I'd run home and I'd or go downstairs and try to figure out, you know, what was going on with the, the next person I had to shoot. So, yeah, right. And so the the idea of um, the glory days of shooting film and I'm certainly not a Luddite and and I, I still do use film quite a bit in, in my process. But the like you said, the 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 broad sort of range of things that you could do with digital. And I know that you you clearly incorporate that into your work, but yeah. do you still like? Will you show up on set with some film cameras or uh, those you know the the plastic <laughs> toys or whatever the broken lenses? Uh, I mean, if for my entertainment, yeah, but yeah. for not for anyone else's because they, I mean, literally, you're shooting a job and the expectation is that they walk with the drive at the end of the job, and you're ah. shooting. And now it's like you know when I used to get a job, they would say this is the budget for the job. And then you're budgeted for, you know, for like for 50 rolls of film, this is the budget. If you go over the budget, we need to know. Right. Nowadays, that's never a question anymore. I mm. mean, you, know, you can shoot 7,000, 10,000 images, you know, and, and you're just shooting away. Cause you're just, you know, capturing, they're not sure what they want sometimes and just kind of have the person, you know, hundred percent, three sixty. you know, it does take away that kind of, um, the decisive moment kind of thing kind of yeah. leaves the building shooting digital. If you allow it, it's like anything is if you allow, I mean, if you allow it to basically take away what photography is and the capturing of light. I mean, I think that is the saddest part of photography nowadays is that you really see so few people embracing that mm. they're just taking pictures. Well, so, let, let me, let me ask you about the, so, so back in the day when you would shoot, film obviously i mean it's it's been well documented that so much in the industry has changed where the you know everything that you just described makes perfect sense the the idea of um like they walk out with the drive that's that's okay. the last time you touch those photos um yeah yeah that's the i mean i you know i'll i'll basically do an edit and pull out some things that i want to just remember and just so i have as a reference um, but in general, they own everything. I mean, they're not, you know, it's, uh, it's like everyone always says to me, would you ever do a book on, on like what you shot for 
over the years on television, which would be a fun book to do because um, it would be the least amount of books I'd ever want to do. I mean, it would be like, it'd be something so far down my career, my career that I would go like, okay, I haven't done that yet. Maybe I should do it just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. But that I don't own those pictures. I mean, you know, you're looking at like, you know, was it like uh, eight years of Mad Men? You know what I mean? And Tashin did the book. Mm-hmm. Tashin did a book of Mad Men using all my pictures. I didn't get a photo credit, but, you know, because I don't own the pictures. They're owned by AMC, mm-hmm. right? So you look through the book and you're going like, these are all the pictures and all the time I put into doing them. But you know what? I got paid. I got paid to do those. It is what it is. You know, I can put them on my website and say, this is what I did, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, there's there's quite a few things that like, you know, there's quite a few years of American Horror Story, you know, that I did for, you know, for FX or like, um, you know, Breaking Bad or Walking Dead or all these things that people love and they want to see more of, you know, um, you know, I could say those are my pictures, but they're not. They are they are they are a collection of people who created that picture. Yeah. You know, the reason that John Hamm looks so cool sitting in a, in a flooded room was because Linda Shupak at AMC and Brad Hochberg, basically who basically owns refinery, the design firm basically came up with the idea. Let's do this. Mm. It wasn't me saying, Hey, let's do this. Right. So now that picture has three ownerships. Then you bring, bring in the set designer who basically went over, measured his office out and recreated his office in the back lot of Paramount and then figured a way of flooding it. Mm. So that's a guy named Peter Gargliano. And he basically is a set designer and he comes in and he does that. Right. And then I have to figure out how to light it. So then I come in, this is when I step in and I go, okay, this is how we're going to photograph it. This is the cameras we're going to use, the lights we're going to use. And then so all you people- walk on and onto this set that someone else built. Yeah. Well, I'm, well, I'm part of the, I'm part of the conversation of how to approach it. We talk right, about But it's not that. like you're not shooting people on a green screen or. Oh no. Oh no! This was like we. They wanted to go for it, so we went okay. for it. So we built the tank and in, in the on in the uh, in the water space of Paramount's back lot, and then tented it so we could shoot it. Big tent in the middle of summer, and then we had to warm the water because otherwise it gets really cold. And then um, decide how we wanted to see it. Was it below the level of water? Was it above the level level of water? So we shot everything possible of how to approach this, and then you had John and. Basically, you know, and all these things started happening. Like we didn't know what was going to happen. You start filming the thing, and everything starts floating to the top. That includes like the cushions on the on the on the on the chair. That includes its pant legs. That includes like all these different things start floating upward, right? So all of a sudden, we get him. We get him, and he's in the water. We realize we stop, and we realize we have to put waders in his pants. Like waiting weights to hold his pants down. And then there's a cigarette pack that floats around. Right in there, there's a Marlboro pack. His office is flooding, and uh, there's a guy in there, and he's corralling the, the pack of cigarettes to make sure it always ends up in the frame someplace. Right, so there's that guy, and then there's the hair and makeup people have to step in and make sure John. And then John is John's just John is so amazing to photograph because he he so listens and he so gets into the whole thing, and he sits there and he's like, you know, the room's filling full of water. We go stop, and he stands there, and he's got his arms like this, and they go. Now put your arms down and he puts down and he lights a cigarette and he just kind of looks at you and, you know, and then he kept on going and we got to a certain point. We were fine. And he goes, let's go. Let's, let's see how far we can push this. Mm. Well, of course we hadn't registered that, you know, the, the walls of the tank are only so high and we can't go to it. And if it went all the way full, the pressure of the water would explode out the sides. Right. 
And, and we, so John's going, let's make it go farther out. Let's have it be like almost like, and I said, well, John, you have to go down into the water. He goes, well, when we get done, let's do that. So he's like down, he gets lower and lower in the water. And all of a sudden we start hearing this creaking sound and, I, and everyone's going like, okay, stop, stop. <laughs> you know? So, but luckily it didn't explode, but you know, but John sat in there for two hours waiting you know, for us to do these pictures. Wow. Like yeah. Getting, it, getting in yeah. there and getting it right and everything else. And, He's such a pro. He's just, and he liked it. He, he gets off of that. I mean, he, he has a lot of fun. And every year we would do a pic, a weird picture. And he was always like, right on the, you know, like right on the mark. Everything about it. That was great. So that's funny too. Cause I'm always wondering like, uh, you know, like the sort of those iconic photographs that are clearly these sort of, there are these many production efforts to, to get those images, but also yeah. um, thinking of like, well, the actor shows up, they clearly, you know, it's like, how game are they for being sort of used as, as yeah. it, you know, like, and to hear that he was so gung-ho to do it is really cool. Yeah. Um, but are there, are there situations where um, maybe the, 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 your, your subject is like, uh, I don't really want to do that or. Yes. Uh, like, and what, <laughs> what is that like? It's, it's, it's like, uh, I suddenly become the go-between because the art director of the studio will say, have him do this. And then I'll walk forward and go like, okay, I know you don't want to do this. I can see it in your face. What do, what do we do to get you? What do we do that's in the same ballpark? We could do this. And you know, a lot of times you'll, they'll, they just want to be part of it. They don't want to just be like this kind of piece of clay you stuck in front of the camera. And then I get sure. the photograph kind of thing. Yeah. But um, I got lucky. It's funny is that, I mean, I've had musicians and I've had tons of people say no to me, you know what I mean? That they don't want to do something. And that's probably when I was early in my career. I mean, I, two of the, um, two of the covers of Rolling Stone I shot were reshoots because photographers had asked um, musicians to do really weird shit. And then everyone was like, what the hell is this? And then I went back and I just simply photographed them. You know what I mean? So, you know, so it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a thing, but I mean, I got like, but it's funny because my years of working with AMC, I got really lucky with the group of actors. Like John was a hundred percent, like would do whatever you need to do. Andy Lincoln on the walking dead. It, he would, he would go out and um, I, he goes, you're ready to go. And I'm like, yeah. And it'd be like 90 degrees and a hundred percent humidity outside. And we'd be in a sound stage and they'd go to spray him down. And he goes, no, I'll go outside. And he goes out and he runs around. He's got a jacket on and everything. He comes back in and he's, and he's flushed and he's sweating and there's sweat, real sweat stains on him. And he's like, <clears throat> he's, and he's, he's looking at me and he, and he's doing it. I mean, yeah. I got there with him and the year that we shot them all being basically hit with the baseball bat, where one of them, two of them died with the baseball bat. He, everybody, we did a whole thing where we were out in the woods and we shot them all out there for a motion piece. And then we came inside the studio and, they were all sitting there and I did all these close-up shots of each one of them with the baseball bat in the frame. And every single one of them broke down because Andy, Andy was like tears streaming, breathing hard, like hundred percent right in there doing it. You know what I mean? You know, and then breaking bad was the same way because, you know, Brian Cranston and, and Aaron Paul are two people that, I mean, we went out in the desert with them and we were running around and I, were you here? Were you shooting in New Mexico? Oh yeah. 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 I've shot, I shot in Albuquerque quite a bit. So next time I'm there, I'll have to give you a shout. Absolutely. We're always, I was, yeah, I was there doing this movie, this show called big sky recently, but I've been there like 
a ton of different things I'm there for, you know, and cause it's a big place to be shooting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, everyone comes to play. They want to play. They get that it's a point to play, you know, they're doing it. And then you hit somebody, you'll walk in and go like, how long am I going to be here? Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. And they just stare at you and they'll just, they'll move 180 degrees for you. And just, because they're not there and they'll say to you things like, you know, I'm not a model. So it's, you know, it's, it, it, there's, you're always going to have people that don't want to do it and you never yeah. know why they don't want to do it. And yeah. that's, that happened over the years in doing, doing photo shoots. Like I think actors will do so much depending on the magazine. Like if you are shooting for Vanity Fair or W or Vogue or something like that, Actors, you could say to an actor, I want you to jump up and down on one foot, you know, naked, and they'd be like 100%. You know what I mean? Right. And then the second part is who's the photographer, and if they if they always want to be shot, then 100%. And then if you work for some other magazine that's just like a regional magazine or something else, they know you don't need to do that kind of picture. So if you mm-hmm. ask them to do that kind of picture, they go, this isn't that kind of magazine. I wouldn't pose that way. I'm just going to stand here and look at you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I've had that, too. So it's like you just kind of move through it. I never taken uh I think my, my favorite ever moment with that was with Bruce Willis. And um he was one I went through three times that I didn't photograph. And then I finally photographed him and I kinda laughed and I, I got done shooting him and you know he he he's not a big happy fan of being photographed. But I got to the end of doing it the third time and I said, third time's a charm. And he looked at me and he goes, What are you talking about? And I go, This is the third time you and I have basically taken pictures or tried to. I said, The first two times you weren't into it. And he kind of smiled at me and he was like, Okay. <laughs> we didn't want to get into it. It was kind of like, Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the first time I photographed him was, uh, they, it was for this thing called 18 Blocks. I think it was with Mo Steff. And he, they, they, he didn't want to do a shoot, obviously, but the studio wanted a shoot. So they set up a shoot at the lunch break. And so when he walked in, I'm sitting there with the studio set up and hmm. he kind of looked at me and they kind of, wa- they said, if you can just step over and take a couple pictures here and that kind of thing. And he looks at me and, and he, he kind of looks at me and he goes, come here. And I walked over and he goes, hi. And I said, I said, I'm Frank. He goes like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Bruce. He goes, what's about to happen has nothing to do with you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. All right. So I stepped back and he just stood there and went like this, just stared at me, you know, just kind of like, and we, and it was film. It wasn't doing digital. It was film. It was like, here's one role. Here's, and, and there's always that moment you're shooting that one role and you go to change backs and they could walk like we're digital. At least you're, you have no end. You can keep right. going. Can right. Keep right. Right. And I, you know, I appreciate that with some actors just because you know that I, I have no idea what the production has done to them. I have no idea the relationships of the studio. I mean, you know, it's funny even seeing young art directors go like, why, why doesn't this actor want to be in the poster? Why don't they want to basically be at the photo shoot? And, you know, and then somebody will say, well, it's in their contract. They have to do this shoot. It's right. like, you're kidding me. You're really going to go there? It's like yeah. it's like saying the same thing as an actor. I mean, I think it's in most contracts that you're supposed to go promote the movie. You know, you ha- you should go promote your movie. And right. it all depends on the situation. And I appreciate it. If it's an awful situation, if you hate the movie, if you felt like it didn't happen the way you wanted to, why would you go promote it? Yeah, there, I mean, there could be a hundred reasons that and and none of them have anything to do with you and, and the classic line of bruce willis yeah, yeah. this has nothing to do with you yeah. so yeah. i'm just I, i'm i'm just one more person standing in front of them taking their picture you know what i mean and well, you know, but and, are you are you um and and because i'm uh, i'm a photo geek and i i know you and your work like how much like 
how many times are you walking into a situation they know who they're dealing with uh, versus yeah. like, fuck, here's another here's another obligation or whatever it is. that I, I mean, it depends. I mean, some people are photo photo savvy. Their publicists will tell them um, I've done enough in my life now that I I have a certain amount that I've done. Mm-hmm. There's a group of us that 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 do this and do entertainment photography, doing movie posters and, and TV advertising. And that's because it is a certain I mean, it's like me saying I'm it's like saying you're a fashion photographer. Fashion photographers, they know what they're supposed to be doing. They know what they're looking for. They know that they know the that season. They know what's going on, that kind of stuff. Being an entertainment photographer and shooting shooting entertainment photography, like for you know, for all the different clients that I have, you gotta understand how this is gonna be used. You gotta make a piece of light that you can use that you can shoot for 12 hours or three days. Mm-hmm. You can't just come up with these random ideas and run around with somebody and take pictures because the light's cool. Right. You gotta make sure they all go together. And then you have to make it interesting on top of that. And you have to also be aware you might have a woman who's in their 70s and then you have a kid and a young girl who's in their 20s. Well, what's the light that's going to basically basically, you know, take care of how they want to do these pictures, but allow them to basically be, you know, respectful to everybody in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I'll have actors look at me and say, you know, I'm being told by the producers I'm being lucky to be, to be photographed by you or you're somebody I hear you're somebody who's actually done this. And I've also had somebody say to me, have you ever done this? <laughs> And this has happened in the last year. Have you ever shot? Do you shoot a lot of uh, movie posters and TV advertising? I go, yeah, I do. And if you sit there and go like, fuck you, it's like, why? Right. It's like, it's not, they have no interest. It's yeah, like me yeah. saying, you know, I mean, I've shot in front of actors that I have no idea what they've done. Uh, let me, let me pause. Sure. Um, how are you doing time wise, uh, energy wise? Okay. Uh, Okay, so we can keep going if that's cool. Yeah, how, you, how, how are your cards doing? Where, well, where now they're just kind of all scattered <laughs> and looking at me because I'm like, oh, he just said that. And, and okay, but all right, so. You want a moment to look at that and kind of figure out like what you want no, to talk No, no, no. Well, I mean, elephant in the room, Bowie. Let's, oh, yeah. yeah. Let's talk. So I think this connects to what you were just saying. And, and, and I know the story of sort of how you first connected with him. But I think that, you know, the opportunity, he clearly to me as a fan would be open to the kind of thinking that you showed up with. And then it, you know, and, and if you, I I don't want, I've heard you tell this story, so we we don't necessarily have to like rehash it, but um, clearly like, you know, you're crossing paths with somebody who, uh, you you formed a really sort of important creative relationship with, right. and not just anybody, but right. like you know, like yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I think, and you have to kind of be. Um, I will always appreciate that he he kind of made me who I am. I mean, there's not many people you get the photograph in life who define who basically push you to basically become. Um, and not, you know, maybe you didn't see that it was in you, but he would always ask what, what, what are you working on? Was always the conversation. It wasn't ever like, this is what I want to do. These are the concepts. This is how I want to be photographed. There was none of that. We never mm-hmm. did that conversation. Um, the phone would ring. Um, Eileen from Isolar would say, David's going to call you in five minutes. Are you able to talk? And I'd be like, yeah. And then phone would ring would be david he said hey how you doing what's how's the family blah 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 blah. and then he'd say okay so 
you know, um, I'm doing this uh, red, hot, and blue thing with, uh, and I got to go in the studio. Um, can you meet me at the recording studio and just take some pictures? There, there wasn't anything like, this is how I want to do it. This is your time. This is anything else. Not knowing, bag of cameras. I think about, I think about like, okay, it's a recording studio. This is what it is. It was back still shooting film. I, I never shot David on digital. Maybe I did David on digital for when I shot the Q magazine thing. I'm not sure I did. Mm. I don't think we ever shot digitally. It was kind of weird. Mm. Um, which he was, he was a huge fan of, but I just hadn't gotten into it. And it would be, I would love at this point in my life to have had that opportunity to do with him. Cause we could have really done some really cool stuff with that. But then I showed up the recording studio with a bag of cameras and I walk in and Coco, his, his assistant we had for years was right by his side was there. And, Angelo Battlemente and I'm sitting in the recording and they all said they would go, Hey, this is Frank. This is, you know, he's gonna be here take, taking pictures. And so I'm sitting in the recording thing and they say, Okay, Dave, we're ready for you. And he walk out, and then he walked into the studio and the door starts to close and the hand comes back and he goes, Are you gonna come? And I'm like, Well, what he goes, Oh, come on, sit in the booth with me. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I walk out and I had this moment, this William Claxton moment. Of just, you know, not, of course, I'm ever going to take a William Claxton picture, but just how he was kind of that always right next to the person, like mm. in the middle of what they were doing. And so I brought an old twin lens Roly I had that had a really quiet shutter on it. And I kind of sat in the corner of the booth and, and David said, so you'll hear it in my headphones, like when I'm going to hear everything else. And then you'll see me. And he goes, just don't shoot when I'm singing. And I'm like, okay. So, and I'd be there in between. So I sat there you know, just taking pictures of him you know, while he was singing in the booth. And that was a very David moment. It was just like, you know, we do things for like, I'm doing a thing in Berlin and I need to do these pictures. And then, so I would kind of go, well, wouldn't it be kind of funny to do these kind of very shadowy pictures like Dr. Caligari's cabinet, because, you know, with shadows and stuff. And then maybe he'd say to me, like, you know, um, I'm doing this or I'm doing this. And I would always kind of come in the door um, and with just like, what if we did it this way? He'd say, great. You know what I mean? And he was a big fan of my journal. He would always kind of walk over and, and reach into my knapsack and pull my journal out and start looking through it. You know, and he loved that I wrote backwards and he loved that how, what the energy behind it was. And, you know, and he was the one who kind of looked at me and he'd say, like, he, he never gave me an opinion. He just kind of would like, you know, he just kind of smile and he'd look and hand it back to me. And I knew that was, that's all it needed to be. Because it's like, you know, journals are things that I believe for years that were just for me to basically express something that I had a feeling I didn't share with it. And I didn't really care what anyone thought about it, you know? And when I used to hand, when other people would look at the journal, they'd start looking at it and they'd start to say something. I said, no, you don't get to say anything. I said, hmm. you look at it and just walk away. It's not really, there's no critique here. This isn't my portfolio. This isn't like, you know, you can smile and kind of like laugh about something. There's a lot of dark humor in my, in my, in my journals. So, but David very much saw that. And over the years, it, you know, it was, was nine-year relationship, 15 photo shoots, um, all different categories, all different ideas. Uh, the funny one was funny one, the funny one was like after so many years, he kind of said to me, like, what haven't we done? He goes, You've shot me more than anybody else. What haven't we done? And I said, I'd never photographed you playing live. And he was about to do these uh five live concerts, one in every borough in New York City. Hmm. And I was unable to go except for one night. I had to fly in and do this one night. And, and it was like the worst night to go because it was Beacon Theater and there's no photo pit and there's and photographers aren't allowed on stage. So, you know, I I hung out before the show in the dressing room and I took pictures and then 
I talked my way into some guy who probably paid thousands of dollars to sit center, you know, five inches from the stage. And the guy let me sit in front of him for a first couple of songs. And <laughs> I went and showed David the pictures afterward. And he kind of smiled at me. He goes, yeah, don't give up your day job. These aren't very good, Frank. And I was just kind of like, and I'm like, like, fuck you. Come on. And it's like, well, I didn't give a chance. It's like, I didn't have the property. He just smiled at me when he said it, but it was like totally David. He appreciated that I was growing. And that I wasn't one way of seeing things. And I saw things a million different ways. And I think he loved that about me. Never said it. But I think that was the reason I kept on getting the phone calls. That I would mm-hmm. always see in a different way and try something different and do this. And and I think it just was like David, David when he would come to a shoot, he would always talk to my assistants. And I had to warn the guys who had never been on a shoot with me saying, so when we sit down for lunch, he might ask, start asking you questions. And he's going to want to, you're going to want to answer. Cause my first moment I ever, like I photographed him doing the, doing the cream cover. And then I shot him for Rolling Stone. And then I got a phone call from him and I was in the middle of breaking up with my girlfriend and, and um, all this stuff was going on in my life. And he turned to me and he said uh, at the, about halfway through the shoot, we were doing a publicity shoot that he wanted to do. And it was the third time I'd worked with him. And uh, he turned to Coco and he said, oh, did you ask Frank yet if he's if he can come on Friday? And I'm like, I'm sorry. And he was like, oh, uh, David wants to know if you want to go see Laurie Anderson with he and Amon and I. And I'm like, and I'm like looking at him and I kind of look behind me going like, was that for me? I didn't really. <laughs> you're talking to me? You want me to go to what? And he's like, yeah, you want to go? We'll have dinner afterward. And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. This wow. is like, this is a, this is like crazy you know what am i gonna what do i have to say to you you know what i mean Mm. so we went and i sat you know it was like i sat in between david and iman and you know we watched laurie anderson and we then we and david was amazing in crowds he could work he could basically move through a crowd with anyone ever realizing he was standing there until people until he walked past and it was kind of like the double-headed spin kind of they realized it was him we jumped the back of a town car and he sat in between Iman and I in the town car with Coco in the front. We went to a restaurant and we walked to the restaurant. We walked to a back room and there was a bunch of tables and the table was like a card table size for four. And we sat there literally elbow to elbow. And we sat there and discussed art and mm. life and things we'd seen recently. And he was very inquisitive. He wanted to hear what was going on. He was always growing and moving forward and, and he didn't want to do the same thing twice and he knew what he'd done to basically do money and he knew what he did he did to basically create art and he and seeing someone at that level then appreciate the people around him because he he didn't ever you know he was always supportive of everyone standing around him which i imagine musically must have been amazing too because he worked he played with so many different kinds of musicians right that you that has to you have to allow that to feed into you as someone who's trying to be, who's trying to be creative, who's trying to be different. So I, 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 I thank him for all that. Plus the support of basically allowing me to take pictures of him and create and to basically collaborate with him, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah, that's, that was the gift. That was probably one of the biggest gifts in life. Let me grab another card. Okay. Oh, you like this one? We've gone to the yellow card, people. We have not gone to the yellow. aging. Aging. <laughs> Are you saying I'm old? Any that- thoughts? Well, I'm, oh six, I'm six years behind you, man. So, uh, yeah, sixty-two years old, and uh, and still don't know anything. So, no, I know things. I know some things. I mean, I say it's like 
I used to say when I was younger that I, it's like the, if I ever got to the end of a year and I hadn't taken 10 pictures that surprised me, I'd quit. I said that when I was in my, my thirties, you know, saying that I hadn't grown and I, I'm lucky enough to say that I'm still be, I'm still able to do that, that I can mm. still kind of surprise myself and do that. And, and, uh, I don't think I'd ever stop taking pictures because I love taking pictures and I don't care if it's for money or not. I mean, just taking pictures that process to me or, Nowadays, it's almost shooting pictures that I can that I know that what I'm going to do with them afterward. You know what I mean? Whether it be collaging or I mean, I'm, I'm on this bent right now of doing um, um, uh, pictures or collages that are on pieces of plywood and board and things that I, if you were to basically walk down the street, it looks like someone cut it off of the street. So it's a combination of my photography with pieces of paper and, and that I pull off of of uh, of. Um, of street, you know, streets, I call it street swag, you know, street, you know, street mm. art. So, so, um, and it's just the collaging and kind of creating my pictures and cause you know, you go to galleries and stuff and you see, um, things are so beautifully framed and, um, and there's no flaw in it. There's no once of it. It's, it's just a print been made and they're beautiful prints and whatever else. Um, it was lucky when the photographiska show came around that they, they, that, um, that Yorman seen the book, and, and that's the show he wanted me to do mm. for Photographiska. And then working with Jessica, um, um, who's the, uh, the global uh, exhibition, whatever. I don't know how her title is, but amazing woman in Stockholm. She and I basically put this show together and they allowed me to basically make it that everything in the show is all that I've done something to things, whether it be in the camera or I've collaged on it. And they even gave me a massive wall of all things that I'd basically either drawn on or written on or drawings or pieces of plywood or all this different stuff. And we just, you know, roughly nailed them all to the wall. And there's this whole piece of it, which in uh, November, beginning of November, it'll be in the States. It's going to be a photo. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. So, right. Is it still currently in Sweden? Uh, no, it's in, well. It's back in Sweden because it was in Tallinn. It was uh, the first year was Stockholm. They have multiple museums around the world. There's more opening up. Um, so right now, it's uh, Stockholm was the first one, which is in an old immigration center on the on the water. So it's massive. It's just mm. this huge space. And then uh, the second one they opened was in Tallinn, uh, which is in Estonia, mm -hmm. which is an amazing city. If you've never been, it's really a great place to go. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. And uh, they had the show this year. The show got packed up, sent back to Stockholm to be sent to the next. I have a five-year contract or an agreement with them. Um, they printed the show. Um, it's about, I don't know, it's got to be like 600 images. Damn. It's 600 pieces, I guess. One piece is 460. It's a wall of four by five portraits that I just made that I've shown on my Instagram. And my wife and my, uh, and George putting it up on the wall because they, because the museum always looks at it and goes like, and then, but George and my wife sit there and they kind of lay it out and they go, it's just they can put it up pretty easily. Yeah. But, and it's, and the show is fun. It's got a lot of different things in it. Um, a lot of different in it, but it's not very, I mean, there's celebrity pictures in it, but it's not that kind of show. It's about, it's, it's a show of inspiration, which I talk about. Cause I, to me, it's like, it should inspire people to go home and start making journals for themselves or go home and basically start doing things for themselves and, and creating out of what they see in life, no matter, 
no matter with any care of how people feel about it, mm-hmm. it's to answer questions to yourself, which that whole show is me answering all my own little voices in my head. So, um, but the show will be in, in uh, New York at the beginning of November. Um, that's Great. where the next stop on the, on the trip is. Well, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, th- this is the final one. Uh, legacy. Legacy. <laughs> legacy. So let's talk about your legacy. What is my legacy? What is your legacy? I, I mean, I, I guess it kind of goes back to the conversation. I, is if I can inspire people, if I've inspired people to basically create, that's my legacy. It's not the pictures. It's nothing I've done. It's more the point that you looked at what I've done, either said to yourself, I can do that, or I see how I could do that, or I can, I'm inspired by creating something because I've seen that. That is, that to me is the best thing anyone can say to me when they walk up and go. And when, and doing the photographiska shows has been fascinating because there's one thing to be in a community where you're around LA or New York and you run into people in the industry and they talk to you. There's another thing basically, and this is totally because of social media. There's another thing to be said where you're getting DMS from people that you've never met. They're all mm-hmm. around the world. Um, you know, I had one guy say to me, I, um, I live in Spain. I flew to Stockholm to see your exhibition. And I was so inspired. And that check i did it i I inspired one person you know what i mean and then i've been lucky enough to have a lot of assistants go out and become photographers um over the years did i inspire them i have no idea and and it really doesn't matter one way or the other but i would hope that i inspired them to basically go be themselves and go take pictures you know and and go create you know Mm -hmm. but you know as i was saying before that when social media came around i'd never uh people didn't know what i looked like which was good you know and it was that kind of so then I did this thing years ago called camera bag TV. And it was the first time someone wanted to interview me and I got interviewed and I talked about basically just seeing and creating and doing that. And I was on a subway platform in Brooklyn and um, this young kid walked up and just looked at me and he said, you're, I, I've seen you on the internet. And I was like, yeah, I said, what was I doing? And he was like, you were talking about, creativity and that kind of thing and we sat there and we were talking about art and that kind of thing and i said what do you do i said are you a photographer and he was like oh no no i'm a graffiti artist and i was like he goes yeah i tell my friends they all got to see this interview because it's all man we all got to listen to this and we all got to be and i'm just looking at him and i'm once i almost wanted to cry i was going Mm. like holy shit you know it's like this little you know, this idea of being, you know, that's why I like teaching because you can inspire to teach people, but the act of doing this or having someone see something and to be inspired to do is so much more interesting. You know, I love when people don't know who the hell I am. I love, I mean, I've done more lectures where I've walked in and they'll, they'll ask me to lecture and I'll kind of, I sometimes open it up if I know the room and I'll go like, how many people know my work? And you maybe get like, you know, maybe a quarter of the room will rate and I'll go, okay, well, what I'm about to show you, you'll probably figure it out. And I'll always kind of like open it. Some of the lectures I'll open up by showing things that I've done that people, everyone's seen. Mm-hmm. And then they'll realize I, I've seen your work for years. I know exactly who you are, you know? And it's like, yeah, but I just didn't know your name. And it, and to me, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, because you saw something I did and that was it. It wasn't, you liked it. Cause I shot it. It wasn't like, Oh, I love Frank Ockenfels and anything he does. I love because not everything I do is great. I mean, not everything I do is amazing. I mean, I would, I can name in my hand, maybe, you know, 10 things that I thought that, that were like amazing to me that I've done. 
And the rest of it's all just the journey to get to the point to where I want to be, you know? So it's my legacy. It's like, hope that's it. hope it's inspiration. hope it's like inspiring that I've inspired people to go be and, 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 and express what's in them. No matter if anyone ever sees it, it doesn't matter if anyone sees it really. It just, you should just basically be creating things, putting things on your wall that you look at and go, that's what that, that answered that question. That answered that question, you know, photography, painting, sculpting, journaling, you know, line drawing i don't really care you know it's like you know making a movie about something yeah but well frank why don't we why don't we wrap this up okay. uh i so you're calling it, it not me okay i'm uh, just gonna say that right now i didn't cut the referee <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got the, the referee bl- the referee blew the whistle uh, blew the whistle time out we're not we're in overtime right now so we, we're gonna yeah <laughs> well uh Frank, thank you so much for uh, joining me. And this has been a really great conversation. I appreciate it. That was great. Yeah, yeah. So there you go, folks. There's my conversation with the great photographer, Frank Ockenfels III. Really had a great time talking with him. And we covered a lot of ground. And I hope you found it as interesting as I did. If you want to check out Frank's work, I have plenty of links in the show notes. Also, that show of his will be coming to New York City at Fotografiska. So if you're in the area, go check it out. I also want to say that I draw a lot of inspiration from Frank's work, partially because he chooses not to follow the standard rules and paths that a lot of photographers follow but also he incorporates a lot of handwork and self-expression into his work and that bleeds into his professional work but also as we discussed his journals which there's a lot of pages from his journals in the book Frank Ockenfels the third volume three And I'll share links to that book as well. Frank uh, graciously sent me a copy, which now sits proudly in my photo library. And it's well worth having in yours as well. So that's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions, of course, go to my website, righteydominantpodcast.com. Scroll down. You'll find a section where you can leave me a message. I read every one that I receive. And lastly, as I always ask, if you haven't already, leave me a review or give me a star rating on the platform of your choice. So that's all for now. This has been the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I've been your host, Nick Toro Jr. And until next time, stay well. This podcast is a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The music and sounds for this episode are courtesy of The Conant Project, The Free Music Archive, and Yazar.